Yeah, Lord, we just pray for Jesus right now. Father, I ask you to bless him. Father, I ask you to stir his teaching gift. And I want to ask you to give us open hearts, Lord, that we will hear, Lord Jesus, what you are saying through this man. And we would respond to it and run with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Adam shared last week about God and his nature, and he obviously covered the five things already about what he talked about. And what I really want to do is kind of just join in with that. The, the premise really of the last three weeks is we've kind of been starting up again. As if, as if the engine has been on standby over summer. And it's kind of like we're gearing up once again. And that's really what these last few weeks has kind of been for us. Do you remember the first week of September, we did Testimony Sunday, sharing what God did, yeah? yeah. Kind of remember? Yeah. Three weeks, a long time ago now these days, isn't yeah. it? But be, we were thankful for what God has done, but we're thirsty for him to do more. Yeah. Holding that hand in hand, thankful and thirsty. Last week, Adam talked about God and actually dived deeper in understanding him, how that just turns our eyes to glorify him. It is absolutely all of him enables us to know how to live. And, and that's really what I want to do today. Before we look at Ephesians, before we go through this series, I'm really excited to spend a good length of time in Ephesians, understanding what Christ-centered living is. Before we do that, I kind of want to respond to what Adam preached on, of saying, what do we actually do? But now that we understand who God is, now we understand his power, his might, what do we do with that? And one aspect of that, of what we do, is this topic of joy. That, that's one thing, one of those kind of reactions, action, aspects, character traits, things that we need to be talking about after we understand who God is. One of those things that needs to come pour out from that place is this topic of joy. The reason why is because if I understand God more, I naturally need to change. I can't kind of understand God and just leave it be. As I understand God more, my character, my nature has to change. For example, when I found out Catherine is allergic to hazelnut, if I then, in front of her, have a jar of Nutella, and with my hand, Winnie the Poohing, like the, 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 the Nutella into my mouth, uh, right in front of her, that's really me ignoring completely about who she is. Like, that, that, that's me just kind of understanding who she is and goes, great, that's good. Here, hazelnuts. Like, it's really silly. In the same way, as we learn about God last week, if we don't actually talk about what do we then do, we're not honouring what we know about him. So that's what I want to do. And I really want to look at this topic of joy. Here's my one-liner. I think I'll, I'll put it up here. I don't know if it's there. Is it tucked in? This is fine. Click the next half for me, mate. This is my one-liner. This is where I'm going, if you can. I'll say it, then there it is. Okay, this is where we're going. We are called to be joy-filled children, to live in the joy of the Lord and be joy-completers to each other. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm heading. Just so you know, by the time I finish talking, that's really where the place I want to get to. Okay, I want to do that with a bit of fun, with a bit of interaction. If we're talking about joy, we can't do that in somber. So I'm expecting a few hallelujahs, amen. So I'm expecting a few interactions, yes? Good, that was quiet. We can, we can raise the roof up a little bit, amen? Good, that's what I'm expecting. 
we're going to first look at the words. And actually, I've been really challenged that new day. Uh, um, Daniel McLeod got all of the teenagers to stand in a way to honour the word. So as the word was being spoken, we were all doing that, respecting and honouring God's word in that way. And I really felt challenged, being like, man, you know what? We should do that. We should do it on the regular. So can you stand with me? We're going to read together. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. So if you're a note taker, you can stand. If you, if you aren't able to stand, that's fine. But you can stand and then you can write that So here we go. We'll start in this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, all of God, did not count equality with God, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Okay. Okay, first question, probably a helpful one. What is joy? It's probably a good question to ask if we're going to look at the topic, right? Turn to someone next to you and ask that question. What is joy? Yeah, about 30 seconds. What is joy? some form of agreement but truthfully the, the definition of joy is highly contented actually even even the dictionary the dictionary settles with a feeling of great pleasure and happiness it doesn't really answer the thing we, we have lots of ways of talking about joy as well the word joy rejoice enjoy take joy there's, there's lots of different moments in in kind of uh, in our language that we talk about it even theologians disagree about what joy is. Some say it's choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. Some say you feel it when you see it. Some say when you eat cheesecake. But that is truly <laughs> Ian Lettington. Lettington's welcome back. It's such a joy that you're back with us once again. Therefore, we need to establish a good definition 
together what Christian joy actually means. So, so here's my definition, right? This is what I'm defining it with. I, I, I feel I've taken this from the Bible, good place to start, but also kind of good theologians that have kind of incorporated so like the likes of John Piper, Tim Keller. This is kind of what I'm ending up calling as Christian joy for this morning. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul, which is produced by the Holy Spirit, caused by the Father as he shows us the beauty of Christ in the Word and the world. That's my definition of joy. Let's break it down. Christian joy is a good feeling, an emotional output, not a decision or no preparation. It's not a logic train that kind of goes on for us to kind of start going down this route. When Catherine bakes something at home, what I don't do is I don't do this. Oh, that smells nice. I like things that smell nice, especially if they're baked. I like baked things and smelling nice things. I should therefore be hungry. So I'm going to choose to feel hungry because of the smell that I can smell. If I do do that, what you call that is a robot. Like, that's not me. That's not what happens. I smell something nice. What comes? Hungry. <laughs> I'm willing to eat Catherine's Blondies. What a joyful day it is. Like, that is what happens out there. The emotion occurs. It happens. Our brain is wired to take these type of shortcuts. This is what happens with our emotions. But what the world has conditioned us at times is these responses to certain things have been conditioned and therefore at times wrong. That, that's, that's what has happened with us and that's why it's important as we dive into the Bible, we understand what truth is. So as we're grounded on truth when things happen, we're reverting to what God has said, not reverting to what our emotions might feel at that moment. For example, when Romans 3 tells us for all have shorn and fall of the glory of God, what we don't stay in a place of is feeling a place of despair and a place of fallenness and a place of sinfulness. Why? Because Jesus doesn't allow us to stay in that place. Jesus says, no, all have fallen short, but through me, new life. John 10.10, 10, I bring you life, life to the full. And so Jesus doesn't allow me to stay in that place where if I read that, I could feel that. Or if I slip up and I fall into sin and my brain is going, ah, you're sinner, and tells me to be in that place, the Bible says, no, 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 that's, that's not what you're based on. This is what is true. Come and repent to him, and therefore my emotion aligns with him. But that doesn't change the fact that it is a good feeling. It is an emotional response that we need to learn how to manage and deal with. It's a good feeling. Number one. Number two, in the soul. It's from the soul, the part that is not just the physical body or brain function, but the intention behind it, giving it meaning. The emotion can be a driver, for example, to do with giving. What does the Bible say about giving? God loves a what giver? Cheerful. Doesn't say a depressing or anxious giver. Cheerful giver. Why does he say cheerful? Well, the reason why is because God's heart intent is about our heart and our intent. It's not about how much we give. Why do we know that? Well, for example, the, the poor woman who gave two copper coins. That gift means way much more than those who have given thousands upon thousands of riches. Why? The hearts and tents. God loves a cheerful giver. So therefore, 
In the same way of talking about giving, it's the same way of talking about all other actions. It's the emotion behind it, based in our soul, where everything else flows out from. Yeah? Go on, come on. Love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Strength is lost. Why? Because it starts with the heart as I choose Christ, overflowing the soul as I get to know him. Mind as I continue to decide to choose to live for him, and my strength as it pours out of my body. The, the, the order is important. So, joy, good feeling in the soul. What next? It's produced by the Holy Spirit. Easy one to come off, right? What, where in the Bible does it talk about that um, joy is, let me give it a hint, a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Galatians? Galatians 5, absolutely. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. Here's the important part of that. I cannot make joy in me. I can make happiness. I can be happy. But I can't produce joy in me. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. It's really important to hold close and dear to that today. They're not the same thing. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. Caused by the Father. The Father who loves to pour out his love and sent his Son for us, the instigator of salvation for us, the one who Jesus found joy in. Luke 10 is an example where Jesus is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Father has sent the Holy Spirit. It's caused by the Father. As he shows us the beauty of Christ. Oh man, I could spend a day on this, if not longer. I want Christ. But it's, but it's as we see the beauty of Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's showing that joy is not just a random occurrence thing. Not kind of little springs that just randomly carry out. It's all caused by the Father as we see the beauty in Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in me, commissioned by the Father, that as I look at Jesus, joy arises. It's a Trinitarian experience showing the beauty of the Trinity in our Lord Jesus Christ as I fall deeper in love with Christ. One of the most written commands in the Bible is rejoice in the Lord. In fact, Philippians uh, 3, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. It's a common command across the whole Bible. Not just New Testament, but even in the Old, in the Psalms, in the prophetic words, in the Gospels, in, in the letters, and in the end of times, in Revelation. Guess what we'll be doing for all eternity? Rejoicing in the Lord. That's what we'll be doing for all eternity. Mitch with the feasts and pies and all that. We'll be rejoicing in the Lord for all eternity. How are you meant to do that if you don't know it? How, how are you meant to rejoice in the Lord? How are you meant to rejoice in Jesus if you don't know him? It's like saying, oh boy, I love ice cream. Have you ever eaten ice cream? No, but I like the look of it. What? That doesn't make sense. How does that make sense? No, I, I need to get to know Jesus 
so I can learn how to rejoice in him and I need to know about him so I can rejoice and tell others about him. It's as I see the beauty of Christ that this emerges. In the word and the world. Well, of course, there has to be a starting place for us to learn about Jesus. One place that is very helpful, don't know if you know this, let me let you in on a little secret. One place that's very helpful about this is the Bible. It's a very helpful place to start learning about Jesus. As I unpack scripture, as I turn the pages, every single page shows me the beauty of the spoken word. The spoken word, all the way from Genesis, sent from heaven. As I see him foretold in the prophetic letters. As I hear about him, hear about his sacrifice in the Gospels. And as Paul unpacks him in the latter letter letters that is written, as I read about this glorious grace given by the sacrificed Saviour, I dive deeper with God in the Word, and I fall in love with Him. And as I do so, it produces great abundance of joy in me. It's why it's produced by the Holy Spirit. Now, if I was to just take the Bible and I was just to flick the pages, and I was to just nonchalantly and casually just read it, truthfully, they just end up being worse than a page. But it's the Holy Spirit that breathes life into these words. The Holy Spirit that brings revelation upon revelation to me about who Jesus is. It's the only book to do it. As I turn the pages, the Holy Spirit is breathing in me to open up my eyes more and more to who this Jesus is. That's what happens with it. It's why it has to be from the Holy Spirit. But notice that I didn't just say word. I said the world as well something gorgeous about that really like even better as i look at god's gifts so i look at god's people so i look at god's nature what he has made as i look at god's provision i can rejoice in him because of it for example cheesecake is a wonderful thing amen amen it's not enough of this yeah cheesecake is a beautiful thing thank you jesus for creating the ideal cheesecake what great idea? What about this? Donuts. Who likes a donut? Yeah. Really? Church, we do not like donuts. It's Father, I pray we repent <laughs> for our sins in this way. Donuts is a wonderful thing. What creation that God gave to man to be able to make great donuts. Or what about this? What about waterfalls? Oh, oh come on. It's more celebrating in waterfall than great sugar of donuts my goodness but still waterfalls i don't know about you but have you ever looked at a waterfall either a massive one or even a small one just gone wow just all the erosion that is going on in that way but producing what feels to be such a still moment of beauty of beauty when we look at all of this we can sense this uh, kind of the sense of beauty about it why? Because it's all caused, it's all made. It's God who has caused it, who has made it in different ways. Um, I want to really recommend a book. Uh, we need to reopen our bookstore after, as we head into Ephesians. But I want to recommend a book. It's a book by a guy called Michael Reeves. Um, he is uh, president at the Union School of Theology. I so respect, actually, his writing. I think it's so helpful. He read this book called Christ of Our Life, Celebrating the Joy of Knowing Jesus. 
really, really recommend this book. Um, and he talks about uh, English reformed uh, a reformer called John Bradford, who was burned to death in 1555 as part of the campaign to put to death evangelicals. And on the moment where he was tied up to the stake, he turned to his fellow martyr, a guy called John Lee, and said, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. He saw every part of his day, this is what the book writes, right? He saw every part of his day to glorify God. When walking in the morning, he would call to the mid the joy um, and blessedness of the everlasting resurrection, the most clear light and bright morning after the long darkness. Seeing the sun, he would praise the light of the world. Rising, he would think on how Christ raises us up. Dressing, he would pray, O Christ, clothe me with thy, thine own self. Eating meat, he would compare it to feeding on the body of Christ. When returning home, he would think how joyful a return it will, it will be to come to our eternal, most quiet and most happy home. Getting ready for bed and going to bed, he would think of putting off the old man with his lusts and reading himself for the sleep of death, as you are not afraid to enter into your bed and to dispose yourself to sleep, so be not afraid to die. This was Christ's world for him, and we live most happily in it when we acknowledge that constantly. I was so challenged by that. Every aspect of this person's life reflected the glory of God. Everything. Even getting up. Even washing, washing your face. Thank you, Jesus, you washed away my sins. Every aspect of life reflects the glory of God. Reflects his goodness. Okay, so we've walked this description. Yeah, this, uh, I can't go back, it's all right. Um, we've walked this kind of description of what joy is. And I suppose part of that, we've also kind of called that why joy. It's God ordained, he's blessed it, he's loved it. Now here's the question, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? How do we apply it? How do we live in that place? I want you to know that this question, for probably for the last three weeks, has really challenged me. I've, I've really struggled with this. And, and I hope that as I share kind of my journey, and I share kind of my thought process, that it would just sprinkle something in you. That, that's my hope. My hope is as I kind of go through this, something would erupt in you that would also kind of go, you know what, this is good joy that comes from the Lord. I think as well as we dive into Ephesians, starting from next week, as we dive into a book that's going to help us about identity, help us about how to live, help us about understanding different aspects of our life and how that all should be Christ-centered, that this probably is a great precursor to that journey of talking about joy and how do we live in knowledge now. You still with me? Yeah. It's quite quiet. You still with me? Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, let's start with this. Let's start with the word. We get to receive Jesus wholeheartedly. Wow, I thought there'd be more response to that. We, we get to receive Jesus wholeheartedly. Wow. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. That's a really good and powerful statement of what the world tells us. For example, these pictures are great, right? Nice, make you hungry, make you in awe. But they're not really like the real thing. Yeah, like, you can't really taste that cheesecake. You can imagine it, but you can't taste it. You can imagine what the waffle is like, you, but unless you're standing by it, you can't really imagine it. And truthfully, that's what the Old Testament kind of was a little bit like. 
a little bit like this. Was, this is what people in the Old Testament were kind of like. They they had an image of God, and some of them chosen people got to be with God. But even that was going for different sacrifices, different ways to be able to kind of really be with God. It's kind of an image and an imitation of kind of what was to come. Then Jesus. Jesus came, opened up the door, so that it's no longer an imitation, but it's the, not part of the glory of God or shadow of what the glory of God is, but it's the glory of God coming down in human form, living a perfect life, dying the most gruesome death, raising back to life so that we could live in the fullness, glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen. It's like me saying this, Ian, I know you like the image of the cheesecake there, but it's not like the real deal of an actual cheese that you can eat. Apart from if you can't, because it's not gluten free. But still, you get my point. An image is not like what we get to receive. We've received Jesus. I get to enjoy God. I want to make that really clear. I get to enjoy God. Every day, I get to enjoy Jesus. Turn to someone and say, you get to enjoy Jesus. Turn to someone else saying, you can fully enjoy Jesus today. I'm doing this because I want us to declare truth to one another. I'm doing this with intention because I think it's really important that we're declaring truth to each other. We get to enjoy Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Oh boy, does it not just stop there. It gets even better than that. As we look at the word even closer, and we look at each passage from passage, we see a sentiment that not only do we get to enjoy God, God enjoys us. God enjoys us. Are you kidding me? This, This mighty God, the one who literally was like, you know what, I might make a mountain, Kilimanjaro. Like the God who literally created land looks at us, corporately as the bride and individually as children and say, I enjoy you. You want proof? Here. Here's proof. Here's proof. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will say, He will what? Rejoice over you with gladness. Psalm 147.11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Romans 2, 29, but a Jew is, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of, of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from who? God. God enjoys you. God enjoys you. Turn to someone and say, God delights in you. It's good. What does God fundamentally take pleasure in? He takes pleasure in us. But in particular, he takes pleasure in us when we delight in him. That's what happens. He takes pleasure in us. But at the core root of that, he takes pleasure in when we delight in him. Want some proof? Here. Psalm um, Psalm 70, verse 4. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Yes. Psalm 63. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will what? Praise you. Yeah, God delights in us. But in particular, 
keep the lights in when we shall light in God. That's why at the transfiguration, not transfiguration, sorry, at the baptism of Jesus, we have this moment where God is saying, This is my son, who I am well pleased, who I'm proud of. Why did he do that? Because he wanted the world to know that he's proud of his son so that we would enjoy his son as well. That, that, that's what we need to be doing. The delight is not in stuff, by the way. It's not in gifts. It's not in things. The delight is in God. Yeah. It's in the Creator. It's in the Maker. It's in the King of Kings. It's in the Lord of Lords. It's in the Majestic One. The Wonderful Counselor. Mighty Warrior. Everlasting Father. That's, that's where the delight is based. It's not based in the stuff that He gives us, it's based in Him, yeah. the person. God. And the outpouring of joy is fulfilled in everything else. This theology is really helpful, actually. It's really helpful, not just in the good times, but in the tough times. This is really helpful when things are tough and really hard and really ugly. Why? Well, when we go through it, we lean on the word. So Proverbs tells us, Trust the Lord with all, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and do not lean on your own understanding. The reason why is because at times when it gets ugly, when it gets tough, my own understanding wanders and start, sometimes gets warped. And I start believing stuff, being like, if I'm going through this, that means God can't love me. This, like, this is honest truth, yeah? This is what happens. Like, when stuff has gone difficult in my life, I've gone, yeah. One day is all right. Two days? Three days? God, this has been a long time. I've been like this. Maybe I've done something bad. Maybe it's karma. Maybe it's me. Maybe you don't love me anymore. Maybe you're absent. And I start wandering into those lives. Why? Because I'm leaning on my own understanding. I'm leaning on my own justification of how I can figure out what that actually means. But I need to learn to lean on the Word. And as I lean on the Word, I need to learn to lean on Christ. Yeah. And even when I go through that, I then trust what the world says. I let Romans 5, suffering produces perseverance, producing character, producing hope. Hope in Christ Jesus. I merge out of it. I'm saying in those moments, Father, I hate this. I might cry. And I might be in pain. I might shout and scream. I hate that I'm going through great pain. However, I know that you're not asking me to be happy. But you're asking me to lean into you and allow you to move in my life. The perseverance, the deep longing of God opening up the door to allow the Holy Spirit to move in me produces joy for his kingdom to come. This is why it's really important to know that joy does not mean happiness. You can be joyful in tears. Why? Because it's produced by the Holy Spirit. And as I lean on God and I trust his promises, I can allow God's joy to be produced in me, knowing that I can trust him. It's why Paul, just in chapter 4, he, um, before, he writes in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was in prison at that time. He was about to be put to death. And he's saying, you know what? To live is not my life. To live, my life belongs to Christ. And if I die, I gain everything. 
Truthfully, I think in the West, I think that is a radical statement to believe in. I think I'd rather not die and compromise with what I want to do, rather lean on Christ. But, beloved, I tell you now, leaning on Christ in good, hard, ugly, bad times will consistently produce joy. Because that's what the Word tells us. So I, Tim Keller, a man who's going through cancer himself, can say the words like this, there is joy available that the deepest grief cannot put out. No circumstance or person can take away the joy that God gives. That's why he can make a statement like that, because of leaning in Christ. We may not comprehend it, we may end up going through a rabbit hole about it, but the the word says that God is the ultimate authority that I submit to. And as I submit to him, he pours love, he pours peace, he pours patience, and he pours joy. I need to allow him to move in my life. Even further than that, by living in a place of joy, it enables us to be obedient to God. And God delights in our obedience. Just want to make really clear that I'm not kind of preaching this kind of fluffy bunny rabbit type theology. I'm not saying, by the way, that God is delighted in what we say. It's really clear. God is delighted in us, but he's not delighted in when we're disobedient. God loves us completely. His love doesn't change. His love doesn't falter. But like a loving father, when a child makes a mistake, the love may not change. But actually, our our action and our moment of what what we have to bring in terms of fatherly, fatherly and motherly discipline needs to come into that place. So, I'm not preaching that God is consistently happy with us, and even if I sin, God's still happy with us. Like that's not that's not what I'm saying. God delights in us, but as He delights in us, He wants us to become more like Jesus. And when we fail, when we sin, when we fall short of the glory of God, He doesn't kind of go, "Oh, it's okay, Jesus is here, let's come back." No, He goes, "Come on, my child, come become more like Him. Repent and return." He wants our obedience to become more like Him. And therefore, he will discipline us in great love. He will take us through times of discipline. Because he loves us. Because he wants us to be truly captivated by him. He wants our lives to reflect his glory. And if there's a part that doesn't reflect his glory, he'll lovingly call it out and be like, come, give that to me. Become more like me in this way. Yeah. John 15, uh, Jesus talks about the true vine. And it says that he buys, as he abides in the va- uh, Father, there'll be much fruit. I don't know if I have this down, yeah, I did. In verse 10 to 11, it says, If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Yeah. There is joy of when we are obedient to what God has called us to do. It's saying, God, I want you. And as I want you, I want to become more like you. And I want you to be delighted in me. Yeah. And as he's delighted in me, joy is produced. That's what it has. Here's the kicker. This is 
the key bit, talk about obedience, talk about suffering, these kind of things, but there's something else. I remember at the beginning when I talked about my definition of joy, I talked about in the word, but also talked about in the world. If God delights in his people, and if joy emerges in God when he looks at his people, then joy should emerge in us when we look at his people. Yeah, do you see, do you see the step I'm taking here? One beautiful step further is that, is that we should be actively looking to complete each other's joy. This blows my mind. Remember I started with Philippians 2, we all read out Philippians 2, right? And we started, kind of where we've been on this journey is we actually started in the latter verses of that chapter. Kind of Paul starts writing this command, complete my joy, here's some bits about it, which truthfully is just based about unity, being united in Christ. And then Paul gets caught up in the glory of God. And from verse 5 to verse 11, he just exudes his praise. He kind of models joy by saying, have the same one like Christ, who humbled himself to death, even the point of death on the cross, that every knee will bow. Like he just exudes this joy out of this. But the command out of that chapter is complete my joy. Be joy completers with me. Let's really consider that for a second. Paul is saying that when I serve, when I do mission, when I love you, when I'm caught up in Christ, that allows the Holy Spirit to produce joy in you. And when you serve, when you love, when you get caught up in kingdom mission, your obedience to God produces joy in me. The Holy Spirit uses you as a catalyst of putting joy in me. Turn to someone and say, your love for Jesus brings me joy. Turn to someone and say, you serving Christ brings me joy. Turn to someone and say, your perseverance through temptation brings me joy. Come on, church. It's good. It's good. This should provoke us into action. Romans 12.10 says, honour one another, outdo one another in love. Imagine if that was our culture. Imagine if our culture was, as we came to the church, it was all about honouring one another. Imagine if we came to church and said, today, I want to be more loving than anyone else. That's not an unhealthy culture. There's no culture of producing competitive behaviour because if I outpour the love that comes from Jesus over each one of us, it can only produce a culture in the church that is going to reflect the glory of God. It's only going to reflect his glory. It should force us into an uncomfortable place, out of our own desire and selfish ambition, but into kingdom mission to see God's kingdom advance because it causes the bride, the church, great joy. It causes us great joy when we see individuals of us going and honouring God. That's what it does. And when we hear what God has done, we should be celebrating it with great jubilant praise. Let, let, me, let me test the waters a little bit about what we like to praise, right? So based on the statements I'm going to say, I want you to give a cheer on kind of how happy or how joyful in particular it makes you. You ready? Okay. There's a parking space at Sainsbury's. Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. There will be cheesecake at the back of the church for me in Lettington. 
Um, a lady got healed from a cold. England won the World Cup. Jeeves has nearly finished preaching. A joke, right? A joke. I know. You, you little face. Um, a joke, right? But serious point. The joy of England winning the World Cup was more important than the joy of Bowman getting healed. Only one of those things I've said is really important. Only one of them has eternal consequences. That's the healing. Beloved, when Jesus moves, it's a significant thing that has happened. Yeah. It is God showing his glory to the people. Truthfully, if England wins the World Cup, in four years' time, someone else will. It doesn't matter. It's not significant. When Jesus returns, that doesn't matter at all. What matters is us becoming more like him. What matters is the kingdom of God emerging in Seven Oaks. What matters is the lost in Seven Oaks hearing the gospel and coming and flooding this hall. That's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. Everything else will produce happiness. That will produce great joy. It's why we want people to join Alpha. It's why, it's why we want the many people to hear the kingdom. It's why we love doing baptisms. This public declaration of someone who's turned to Christ saying, I want to physically act and say, I belong to him. It's why we do that. It's why we're doing testimonies now. I, I want to hear what God has done. I don't know about you. I want to hear what God has done in us this week so we can celebrate. I wonder whether our expectation is limiting our faith. I wonder, I wonder whether sometimes our expectation for God to move and for healings and, 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 and miracles and these kind of things, I wonder whether our expectation is limiting our faith. And the reason why I wonder whether our expectation is limiting our faith is because how we celebrate when those things happen is truthfully, I, I feel in terms of how I celebrate when God has moved is subpar from me. I, I feel what I was challenged by is, man, when someone is healed, I should be dancing for joy because God has moved. Yeah. Yeah. So, beloved, how are we considering the movements of God in this way? Francis Chan puts it like this. People who are obsessed with Jesus do not consider service a burden. Obsessed people take joy in loving God by loving his people. A person who is obsessed with Jesus is more concerned with his or her character than comfort. Obsessed people know that true joy doesn't depend on circumstances or environment. It is a gift that must be chosen and cultivated, a gift that ultimately comes from God. Church, I'll be totally honest with you. I might get cancelled in this culture for saying this. Church, I don't want us to be comfortable. Church, I'm, I, beloved, I really want us to be uncomfortable. I want us to be safe, but uncomfortable. I want us to be safe and secure in my identity in Jesus. I want to be safe and secure in the family's love that comes from Christ. But I want to be us to be uncomfortable because we're stepping out consistently on kingdom mission. The only way that happens is for us really diving into the joy of the Lord. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. strength. It is our enablement. Is our empowerment to do that. How joyful will it be when the worship band has to find the notes for a spiritual song that is suddenly erupted from the congregation? How joyful will it be where we cannot meet in this hall, but we need to hire a school hall down the road because we've got too many people in the church? 
How joyful will it be when we have to put chairs away because we have too many people coming in to Alpha? How joyful will it be when we see the change of trend that is going on in society of 0-18s rushing to turn their eyes to Jesus in the church? How joyful will it be when we have to turn people away from serving on different motors because they want to get involved with church mission? How joyful will it be when we have to stop people sharing testimonies and prophetic words because we've got too many of what God has done and what God has spoken over the week? Guess how that's going to happen? Us stepping in to get involved. Being obedient. Trusting in the Lord and letting his joy pour in us as we reflect the joy of Christ. It only happens by us engaging in kingdom mission. Here's my challenge. Are you up for it? Do you want the joy of the Lord? Yes. Yes. So I certainly do. Why don't you stand with me? I just want to pray this. Like I said, this, this train of thought has been, yeah, challenging for me. And I found myself at times, in particular during prayer week, um, crying to God. But in the midst of just going, Father, I don't know what is going on here, but I know that you're God. Yeah. Father, I pray that you just put your joy in me. Holy Spirit, please, pour your joy in me. And I felt just a sense of peace. And, and Friday night, there was a moment where we had a taste of heaven here. It's moments like that that kind of go, man, this is good. <laughs> it's so worth it. So I don't know about you, I don't know where you're at. I don't need to know that. What I do know is that we have a heavenly father that likes to pour joy. And so what I want to do is, if you want to receive a fresh sense of the joy of the Lord, i.e. you're saying, you know what, I'm buying in for kingdom mission, and I need, to, I need the joy of the Lord to be able to do that, I want you to put out your hands, and I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we are desperately in need for you. God, with all that is going on in the world, the world is preaching fear, the world is preaching anxiety, the world is preaching unstability, but Jesus, Jesus, you are firm, you are strong, you are foundational, and Jesus, when I come and I pray, and I look to you, and I pray, Jesus, be with me. Jesus, you don't take a breath, you don't take a pause, you come and you're with me. And Holy Spirit, right now I say, fill us afresh. Holy Spirit, we want to be filled with the joy of the Lord. We pray, fill us with joy. More than that, Father, I pray that you would make us children who would be joy completers in one another. That would want to share the joy of the Lord with each other. That would share what God has done. That would step in to kingdom mission. That wouldn't be afraid to invite the lost, to invite those who don't know Jesus into the church. To share the gospel. To open up our homes for when there are needs. To open up our homes for when we can again show God's love. Father, all of this produces joy. So I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, fill us with joy. That we would be joy completers in one another. 
We speak and say this in your holy name. Amen.